get yourself a seat. Lots of room up front. Okay, let's um, get started with a word of prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day, this opportunity we have to worship together. And we thank you for your word that teaches us. Lord, just pray for a blessing on everything that's said and done in this service. Amen. Okay, so um, I was trying to come up with something positive to share today, you know, because there's all this stuff going on in the world that's not so positive and so I talked to my wife, well, I wanted to share, you know, about this. And she goes, that's not positive. So <laughs> I had to change things a little bit. So uh, let's look at Ephesians chapter 5. And we'll start in, with verse 15. <clears throat> so be very careful how you live. Do not live like those who are not wise, but live wisely. Isn't that interesting that we're instructed to live wisely and that we have to be very careful how we live? This is Paul writing to Christians, so this applies to us. Be very careful how you live. So being a Christian, it's not really haphazard or careless. It's intentional, and it's disciplined. Okay, verse 16. Use every chance you have for doing good, because these are evil times. We can relate to the evil times. Now, Andrew, I think he's back here. Yeah, there he is. He's probably got this table that tells you how long you're going to live. You know, he's kind of in that business. And so I was kind of looking some of that stuff up. And, um, you know, just as on average, if you are born in the USA, you're probably going to live about 80 years. And for men, it's a little less, women a little bit more. So, you know, most people, they kind of look forward to the weekend, you know. So when you are born, you have 4,160 weekends. <laughs> now, myself, I, I kind of was calculating this out. I'm down to 950 weekends. <laughs> so time is precious, you know. We, we don't realize that, that time is the one thing that you can't buy any more of. It's what you got is what you got. Um, and when you compare it to eternity, it's very short. It's just a moment. Um, so, uh, so, yeah, we need to use every chance we have for doing good because these are evil times. Um, so I want to encourage some of you are involved with um, raising children. A lot of you are involved with that. <clears throat> I want you to know that there is no more important work than raising your children. You know, the world does not tell you that. It tells you that, hey, just 
send them to our schools and, you know, daycare, and we'll take care of them for you. Well, that's really not the best. You know, if you're raising your children, that is a very important work, and you should feel good about that. Uh, Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child to live the right way, and when, you, when they are old, they will not stray from it. <clears throat> Very familiar verse. Okay, another thing you can be doing as you're looking for good work to do, uh, you're involved with working to earn a living. Okay, now the, what's kind of uh, becoming more popular in today's world in the USA is you don't have to work, you know, just stay home. We got, you know, insurance, unemployment, whatever, and you can almost make as much or more money staying at home, right? Why work? <clears throat> but what does the Bible tell us to do? Romans 12:11 Do not be lazy but work hard serving the Lord with all your heart. Wow, that's a totally different message. And so if you are working hard to earn a living, that's a good thing. You're doing a good thing and you should keep doing it. Okay, then the last part of that, verse 16, talks about the, the times are evil, the days are evil. Um, I've been reading several books, actually listening to them, about World War II. And um, the other thing that I've noticed is when you read the Bible, especially the Old Testament, uh, a lot of it is the history of Israel. Okay, well, why is that important? Why do we need to know about Israel, this little country in this little tiny spot in the middle of the Middle East? Why is that so important? Well, because we can learn a lot from it. History teaches us about us because we tend to be just like the people who came before us. So um, I encourage you to do that. You know, read some history. You can, it's easy to do. There's lots of good stuff out there. I listen to it while I'm driving. It's, it's easy to do. Okay, so let's move back to verse 17. Back, well, let's start at 16 again. Use every chance you have for doing good because these are evil times. So do not be foolish, but learn what the Lord wants you to do. Learn what the Lord wants you to do. And don't be foolish. What's that talking about? So um, what I thought of when I was uh, reading this verse is, you know, we have, we have a good service here on Sunday mornings. And we have, you know, Pastor Jason is a, he's an excellent pastor. I mean, he, he's disciplined. He studies hard. And he delivers great sermons, and you know, they're biblical, and that's good. But if you really want to grow and, and challenge yourself, 
you probably need to be in a small group that meets someplace else, you know, once a week or so, and that's where you're really going to grow, and, and you're going to learn what the Lord wants you to do. You know, you have to dig in a little bit more. So I would encourage you to do that. There's lots of opportunities here at this church, at other churches, you know, where you can do that. But um, you could even start your own home group, you know. There's lots of opportunities. Okay, verse 18. Do not be drunk with wine, which will ruin you, I believe, but be filled with the Spirit. Okay, so um, how do we do that? How do we get feel, filled with the Spirit? Um, the verse that I thought of that kind of gives us a picture of this is Mark 1.10. This is Jesus' baptism. And as he comes up out of the water, let's just read it. Immediately as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven open. The Holy Spirit came down on him like a dove. Like a dove. So the Holy Spirit is the picture that's used many times in the Bible is the do- a dove. And so what do you think of when you think of a dove? It's, it's easily frightened. It can be shooed away. But if you want to, if you're quiet and you pay attention, you know, the dove will sing to you, you know. There's, there's things we can learn. And the Holy Spirit is, is um, compared to a dove because that's what we got to do. We got to get up in the morning and go, okay, Holy Spirit, I want to pay attention to what you're telling me today. Okay, so finally, um, let's read verse 19. Um, yeah, back to where we are. Okay, speak to each other with psalms, hymns, and spiritual song, singing and making music in your hearts to the Lord. So, obviously, uh, what we need to do now, well, first of all, let's talk about music. Music is like the internet. It's, it's a very powerful thing. And it can be both good and it can be bad. And so, um, when when it, let's use it for good. That's, that's my message. And so what I thought I'd do now is um, share a Christmas song. You got that, Logan? Okay, I'm looking at you guys, and some of you guys I'm going to pray for because you did not respond like you should have. Yes, Christmas songs, it's... It's a good thing. Anyway, we'll skip that. Okay, so let's end up with verse 20. Always give thanks to God, the Father, for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Give thanks for everything. Have a thankful heart. These are good things we can do. Okay, let's uh, pray and we'll invite the worship team to come up. Lord, we just thank you again for this day and this opportunity we have to... um, Make sound, make use music for the wonderful, powerful thing it is. And Lord, just bless our time as we do it. Help us to do that well. We pray in your name. Amen. Welcome. If you're here visiting, 
you're here, been here for a long time, we welcome you here. It's good to be here again together this morning. It's always <clears throat> good to be spending time with other believers. We did have a, an excellent time making cider yesterday. Um, just a lot of people stopping and a lot of visiting and working together and uh, a lot of hands makes less work for everybody and uh, it went very, very well. We're going back to Galatians chapter 3. We're going to finish chapter 3 this morning. So if you want to turn in your Bibles, or it will probably be up on the board as well, um, Galatians chapter 3, verses 15 through 29 is what I'm going to read this morning. It says, Brethren, I speak in the manner of men, though it is only a man's covenant, yet if it is confirmed, no one annuls or adds to it. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds, as of many, but as of one, and to your seed, who is Christ. And this I say, that the law, which was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ, that it should, be, that it should make the promise of no effect. For if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. What purpose, then, does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. But the scripture has confined all under sin, that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Father, thank you for your word. I just pray that as we dig into it this morning, you would open our ears to hear, open our eyes to see, and help us to stay focused on what's truly important in our lives. In your name we pray, amen. So Galatians tends to keep talking about a lot of the same things. It's talking about the law and the law and what was the purpose of the law and why did we have the law and why do we have to follow the law or why did the people have to follow it and what's the purpose of it today? And it keeps talking a lot about the same things, repetitive, and I think repetition is there for a reason. It's because sometimes unless we hear things multiple times, we don't remember it. Because when I am sitting out there and somebody is up here speaking, and hopefully it's gotten better since I have been speaking more, but when I am sitting out there listening to somebody else and I hear it one time, it is really hard for me to remember that. And so if you hear things multiple times, sometimes I will say things multiple times, but there's a lot of times the scripture says the same thing in different ways or it says the same thing exactly. And as we hear it over and over and over and over again, we will remember it and it will stick. 
And so that's why we hear a lot of similar things. So God here is, is he is talking about this covenant that he has made with Abraham, clear back in Genesis. He made a covenant with Abraham, and he said, last week we talked about, in you all the people, of, all the children of the earth shall be blessed through you. And he's talking about Christ, the seed of Abraham. But he made this covenant with Abraham and his seed. If the covenant was made to Abraham and his descendants, God will still honor it <clears throat> Excuse me, after Abraham is gone. So in a way, it's like making, uh, uh, if, you're, if you're getting, not, it doesn't even have to be with getting older, but as you grow and as you have a family, you maybe start to think about getting a will or a, a last will and testament or something or a living trust or whatever it might be. And this is kind of what God is doing with Abraham right here. He's kind of making a, a last will and testament with Abraham clear back in Genesis that is going to affect us even here today. Because it talks about, it doesn't say, uh, it doesn't, it does not say and to seeds as of many, but it says as of one and to your seed. And that's specifically pointing to Jesus. The covenant is made with Abraham, and we're going to get into when Jesus came, he came and he fulfilled that covenant. The promise was just like a last will and testament, and when a person is gone, then that last will and testament has to be carried out. So if you have everything lined up and everything's in a row, when, when you would pass away, then whatever your will would say, that's what is supposed to be carried out. And it's kind of what, a, a comparison that we could have of something that we would understand today of what is going on here. If God makes a promise or a covenant, he will keep it. Unlike what you or I might do today. Now, I don't know about you, but if you make somebody a promise and, and you, we... we have really kind of dumbed this idea down just a little bit, and we've kind of watered it down, and we make promises that I have to be careful what I say because I can sometimes make a promise or a commitment that I know good and well I'm not going to be able to do. I don't know if you've ever been there before, but it's really easy to do that because you want to tell people what they're asking. You want to be able to help people. You want to be able to be there for people and, and be a blessing to people. But really, in reality, if we're in the middle of apple harvest, we're in the middle of the grape harvest, there's absolutely no way it's going to work for you to go do what needs to be done, somebody else. Do we make promises that we intend to keep? Because when God makes a promise, and the Bible is full of God's promises, God makes a promise, he's going to keep it. He will keep his promise. And we get disappointed sometimes when we have promises that we felt like were made to us from other people and they don't keep them. And so then we turn and we relate that to God thinking that there's a possibility that God's not going to keep his promise. And I just want to clarify that right now. God will keep his promise. It doesn't mean that it will be fulfilled, made today and fulfilled tomorrow because he made this problem, promise with Abraham in Genesis, and it wasn't fulfilled until years later. But when God makes a promise, he keeps it. You can count on it. You can bet your life on it. God will fulfill the promises that he makes, and sometimes we, as humans, don't. This promise in particular took a long time to be fulfilled. And I'm sure that people thought 
more, more people thought than we would re- realize that they didn't think this promise was ever going to be fulfilled. What did he mean? Now Abraham is gone and all of his seed is in Egypt as slaves. So how does this promise that God made to Abraham apply to us today when they're, thinking they're in slavery in Egypt? They're trying to figure out how this applies to them because God promised that we're going to be blessed through you. All the nations of the world will be blessed and we don't really feel like we're being blessed right now because we're in slaves in Egypt. But then God brought them out of Egypt 400 and some years later after this promise was made. God will always keep his promises. You can count on it. So as we keep going, it keeps talking, it talks about in in verse 18, it says, for if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. We'll go back to verse 17, it says, and this I say that the law, which was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before God, before by God in Christ. The law did not fulfill this covenant that was made to Abraham. We're going to get into, so then it starts talking about in verse 19, it says, what then is the purpose of the law? What purpose does the law serve? Why is the law even there? If God made this covenant with Abraham, then what is the point of the law? And the more that I read in Galatians and the different places that it refers me to, I am so thankful that we don't have to live under the law. I am so thankful that we don't live under the law. What was the purpose of the law? The law was to help us to realize the impossibility of our situation. It helps us to realize that it, without the fulfillment of this covenant, which is going to be Jesus, which the people in the Old Testament did not know yet, living under the law was impossible. We can try, and last week we said, if you're going to live by one law, you better live by all of the laws, otherwise it's not going to work. Without a Savior, we have no hope. And this is what the law was trying to point us to. The impossibility of our situation and the need that we had for someone to save us. That's what the purpose of the law was. I want to read here. We're going to, Paul, we're going to Timothy now. You did see Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 through 11. It says, but we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly and for sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers, and if there is any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. Now, if that didn't cover all of us right there, then you're lying, and then it covers you. (laughs) This... The law is not made for a righteous person. The only righteous person was Jesus. The law was made to point our need, point to our need for a savior. John 1.17 says, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The law was given to expose sin. 
The law was put there for us to recognize that there is absolutely no way. There's no way without a Savior that we're going to survive in this world, that we're going to be able to keep every aspect of the law. It's not possible. What purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. 1 Timothy 2.5 says, For there is one God, and there's one mediator between God and man. And that's the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. There was a mediator that it used to be under the law that we had to go through a mediator, and that was the high priest. And everything had to go through the priest. Everything. When Moses set up, well, when God set up the law through Moses, everything had to go through the priest. Everything. That was the mediator. But when Jesus came and he died and he rose again, he became that mediator. And we can go directly to the Father because one of the fundamental things that we believe is that Jesus is God. And so we can go directly to the Father because of what Jesus has done for us. So again, what's the purpose of the law? Why was it so important? Why did Scripture in the Old Testament take up several books of telling us what the law is? And sometimes I wonder if it's because I'm a little bit dense and not picking up on things very fast. And so he put a lot of stuff in there to try to remind me that I can try to do all of the things that the law says, and there's absolutely no way that I can do it all. I can't do it. Because if I break one of them, I've broken all of the law. And we all do. In the verse that we read in 1 Timothy, we're all covered in that. Yeah, we're all covered in that. It talked about all of us. The law was a two-party contract. I had to do my part, and the priest had to do his part. It was a two-party contract. But then Jesus came. And when Jesus came, that was a one-party contract. And the only, body, the only person that had to do something was Jesus, and that was when he died. And he shed his blood for all of our sins. A one-party contract. He took care of everything. The only thing that we have to do is we have to receive what he has done for us. That's it. It sounds way too simple, and it is very simple. But if he would have made it like the law, if you keep reading through the law, you want to talk about something that's the total opposite of salvation that Christ set up is the law. Because it is heavy, and it's encumbering, and there's so much there that we can't even hope to understand it all. But when Christ came and he established a one-party contract, and it was him that did everything, And all we have to do is be willing to accept what he has to offer to us. How exciting that we don't have to try to live under this two-party contract and try to keep up our end of the bargain. Because like I said last week, when we accept him and when we have the Holy Spirit working through us, then we have the desire to serve him. Then we have the desire to what in the Old Testament would have been wanting to obey the law. But what that means today is is wanting to follow Christ. 
and wanting to live by the example that he set when he lived here. The Old Testament, or the law, revealed God's nature. It revealed his will for humanity, his moral laws, and his guidelines for living. These were set up in the law. And they were the right thing, the right way to live, but when Christ came, he took that all away. And he said, two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And the second one is love your neighbor as yourself. Everything in the law that was in the law is now contained in those two. All of it comes down to two. And the first one is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Are we there? Have we fully committed to him? Are we willing to say, I will love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, and mind when everything is going well? Or am I going to say, I will love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, and mind no matter what happens in our life? Because in the world we live in today, we don't know. We don't have a promise of tomorrow. We never have. And for some reason now, it might seem like it seems a little bit more real that we may not be promised tomorrow, which we aren't anyways. But are we still going to choose? Are we still going to make that choice to love the Lord our God? The law was like a tutor or a guardian. So if you have a a will and you have younger kids and you don't want them to receive anything before they're 20 or 18 or whatever age you put on it, that will is like a, a guardian and nothing can happen until they come of age. The law was kind of like that for us. It's kind of like a guardian or a tutor. Is what uh, uh, Galatians is talking about. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. We don't live under the law. We live under grace. And that grace, that God, that Jesus has extended to us, we are asked to extend to others. And that is a lot easier to say than it is to do. Because I don't know about you, but there's a lot of times that I don't feel like offering any grace to anybody. But unfortunately, that was the example that we were given, and that's what we're asked to do. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. This is Jesus talking. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. I didn't come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill every single aspect of the law. And if you look at all the things that had to be fulfilled in the law, it was incredible what Christ did. And there's only one person, Jesus, that could have ever done that. And I think, again, that was part of what the purpose of the law was, to continuously remind us of what it used to be, what the people in the Old Testament used to live under, and now what we get to live under today. It makes it possible for us to live. The law taught us the need for salvation. Acts chapter 13. Verses 38 and 39. 
Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. And by him, everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Because if the law could give righteousness, then there would have been no reason for Jesus to come. We could have been saved through the law. But the impossibility of being saved through the law like we see as we read through it, it's absolutely impossible. And that continues to point us to our need for a savior. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, we no longer need the law. We can go straight to the Father. You can go straight to Jesus himself and talk to him, complain to him if you want to do that. Pray, share your, what you're thankful for. We can talk to him anytime, anywhere. We don't have to be here to talk to him. You can do it at home. You can do it at work. You can do it in your car on the road. You can do it anywhere because the law has been fulfilled, completely fulfilled by Jesus Christ and what he's done for us on the cross. John chapter 10, or excuse me, not 10, chapter 1, verses 10 through 13. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Jesus came, and he ministered, he walked here on this earth, and the people he came to, his own people, the Jew, Jewish people at that time, did not even know him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. Now, I don't know if you completely, if you go to back to Galatians chapter 3 and verse 26, it says, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Do we understand, do we completely and fully understand what that really means? Let me put it in a little bit simpler term. You and I are sons and daughters of the king. You and I are sons and daughters of the king. That's what that means. We are heirs with Christ. The covenant that he made with Abraham, clear back in Genesis, we get to live under the benefits of that here today because you and I are children of the king. If we have accepted Christ's free gift of salvation, you and I are children of the king. And what more hope do we need? What more assurance do we need? We live in a world that is full of fear, misunderstanding, mistrust. We don't know what's going to happen, but we can know and we can be sure that the promise that God made and the promise that he's giving here is that if we receive his gift of eternal life, we will be children of the king. We are heirs with Christ. Romans chapter 8. Verses 12 through 17. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. 
For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. We are heirs with Christ. We are children of the king. You are a child. Don't let anybody tell you any different. You are a child of the king. Whether you believe him or whether you don't, he still died for you and he still is calling you and wooing you to become his child. He wants you to become his child. He wants to know you better. He wants you to know him better. One more verse that I'm going to read before we're done. The covenant that was made to Abraham and fulfilled now that we get to live, when Christ came, he fulfilled that covenant, not seeds of Abraham, seed of Abraham, that's Jesus. And he came and he fulfilled that covenant and he allows us to walk with him. He wants us, he desires us to walk with him. And I want to read out of Isaiah. I'm going to have everybody stand up, if you would. We're just about done. But Isaiah chapter 43, I'm going to read the first seven verses right there. The first part of it is, is more familiar. Isaiah chapter 43, starting at verse 1. But now thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he formed you, O Israel. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave Egypt for your ransom, Ethiopia and Seba in your place. Since you were precious in my sight, you have been honored, and I have loved you. Therefore, I will give men for you and people for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your descendants from the east and gather them from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not keep them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created for my glory, I have formed him. Yes, I have made him. And I want you to get what it says. God is willing to do anything. He is willing to go to the ends of the earth so that you might know who he is. And it says in the first part of that uh, chapter, And he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. What a blessing that is that we can know. We can know that we are his. All that we have to do, a one-party contract. God has done all the work. We have to receive it. We are his. We are important to him, and he's willing to do whatever is necessary to draw us to himself. Father, thank you for your love this morning. I pray that you would help us to live as children of the king, live as your children, live with the hope that you give us and that you bless us with 
each day. Give us a renewed hope for life. Help us to be aware of people around us. Help us to look for opportunities to share that hope. Help us to be willing to share that we are all children of the King, that God wants us all to be his children. I pray that you would bless each one that's here this morning, guide our week. I pray that you would be glorified through everything that we do and say this week. In your name we pray. Amen. Turn, shake somebody's hand, and be dismissed.